Welcome to Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. This podcast is a collection of historical and philosophical references, contemplations, lectures, and exchanges with David M. Valadez, his students, and guests. Podcasts are recorded on the mat at the Ascension Center in Southern California and in studio. These podcasts are provided to cultivate the warrior on the way and to add light to their path. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's podcast. Today we're going to start another series, a new one. But let me preface it with the whole point of the podcast again. A reminder. Personally, I'm just not a fan of taking on a teacher role for those not currently training with me. An example of this is at our dojo, we have a trial period. This is where a person can, well, has to come to the dojo for four weeks. I imagine there's those that come and see it as a way for them to check out the dojo. And it is that. But equally important is I am assessing them for teachability and for their capacity to maintain harmony in the dojo. It was only until relatively recent, recently in martial arts history that you could have or want walk by traffic and you would take walk-ins. This simple change may be one of the reasons why martial arts have degraded and particular arts may have been degraded because of this social change. If you look at the pedagogical model of the martial arts, you would see that it is antithetical to the walk-in student and walk-by traffic. So we have a trial period. The student or the potential student trains for free. All their equipment is provided to them. I don't do the uh, one free lesson and uh, free gi. Well, when these people are in the trial period, they just call me Dave. I'm, I have not entered into any kind of, for lack of a better word, contractual relationship with them. I don't use the title sensei as a title. It's the marker of a relationship. So even when people write me via the internet, I request they call me Dave.
So our YouTube channel, our website, our Facebook page, these are not used to generate marketability. I don't think that kind of widespread exposure is actually healthy for a dojo. And as someone who's ran a business since 1999, I don't think it actually translates into any kind of financial sustainability. The reason we have a website, a YouTube channel, a podcast, is to take advantage of this technology and to use it to offer a poorly structured substitute for the fact that martial arts were originally trained 24-7 under a single roof. That's very difficult to do nowadays, but through the miracle or the a miracle of technology, you can have more readily available information and a kind of constant training capacity. So everything really that appears to be of social media is really about access for my own dashi. Now I'm not an idiot and not wholly without compassion, having been in a similar position to a lot of people out there. I do know that there are people who have, and, and who do watch what we do on the YouTube channel and listen here on the podcast, and have gained some benefit from it. And having been in my own training history, Isolated at times, it does help to have some exposure. And so that is why these things are not as privatized as they could be. But that sharing plays a secondary role. And truth be told, I think anybody that is out there listening, and several have taken me up on this offer, You know, it's better to stop being just a listener or a watcher and to actually start engaging. If you find what I'm saying or doing interesting or thought-provoking, not even reaching the level of beneficial, please feel free to bridge the gap between these two efforts. Come to me with questions or ponderings or reflections you've had. Feel free. One person out of Mexico has taken me up on this and we've set the groundwork for future meetings, but she has accomplished a great deal through these means, raising questions, sharing answers, 
most of the, probably the last 15 to 20 videos have actually been made for her specifically. And the reason I bring this up is I just tend to be a person who sooner or later asks, what is the point? This seems like a good point. And what does not seem like a good point is to, uh, for me, right, for me, to sit here and tell people who don't have anything to do with my training, how they should train. That seems like a waste of time. This is why I, I tend not to do top 10 list and beginner best practices. Everything that is written or published or filmed is coming out of a context and the casual listener is not going to get the context and not going to be able to understand what is actually being demonstrated or said. The context for most things is the development of those people that have entered into this kind of social contract with me. The context is the tutelage of my own deshi. The context is not a kind of understanding of Aikido made or thought to exist within a vacuum. The reason for this is there's no point in saying anything. There's no point in sharing anything outside of that tutelage context. The point of a practice is to remain pure and to move beyond words and ideas. But mentoring, tutelage, this is always going to involve words and ideas. Back in 2012, I stopped, for the most part, writing the longer pieces that used to be on our website. We took them off when we designed the new website, but we're about to put them back on. We'll let you know when those are back on. There's hundreds of essays, both long and short.
And in 2012, I started to take advantage of the Facebook page and started to publish just the short reflections that would pop in my mind as I was tutoring and mentoring others. Again, within that context, they make sense, they're clear. But I have new students since then, and new listeners, new people, maybe isolated. So in this series, what I want to do is go back through the collection of these ideas, which were published, and they are published annually, under the title Reflections, and then the year. So these are Reflections 2012. And they start in April. And we're about to put these back on our website as well. So I'm just going to run through them. Maybe we'll scan them. And I'll reflect further on them. Again, first for my students was the things that are called to my mind are things that I have noticed or, or seem to be things that seem to be universal. They're human problems or deshi problems. And so the non-student listener, you may find them interesting. I'll give the date and then read the saying. 4.2.12 Walking behind and following the patriarchs, so the path is traveled. This one This one is at the heart of a cultural rift. Likely more happening in modern Western nation states. And likely in those nation states, more often in the areas where information is more disseminated from. So in the United States, for example, these areas tend to be the northeast coast and the southeast coast, a uh, southwest coast of the country, but the coast in general. From there, a culture is forming that makes it seem as if it is larger than it actually is. But this is because the sources of information are here. You can think of it, they have a longer and louder voice. 
I happen to be in one of those areas. But this culture is in some ways can be described as the most modern. If we mean in the sense that they are the least traditional. And if we look at the traditional pedagogy for Budo, it had a particular sense of history, a particular sense of social structure, a particular sense of time. In short, time was not linear, but circular, and history was concentric. And the individual who sought a transformation of self required another. a mentor. Having taught for decades now, what I've noticed is there isn't only a philosophical rift from this cultural rift, meaning time and history is progressive and sequential. But self-transformation is often not a goal. Self-acceptance is a more popular goal. And that cultural shift philosophically comes with all the rhetoric and polemics for any cultural transition. So mentors are not only not needed, but frowned upon, distrusted, dangerous. And with that kind of philosophical shift, you're going to have the same kind of rising of discourses that prove these things. So you have your cautionary tales. This happened and that happened. And suspending for the moment whether one is true or not. It is a valid description 
to note that one is in a truth game, a power struggle, a cultural shift. And again, suspending whether one position is more valid than the other. What tends to go unnoticed is that, is it possible to learn one cultural practice developed under one cultural system after you dismantle that cultural system? My position is no. I think when you dismantle the cultural system, meaning is lost and you start to replace it with things that always tend to be lesser or that ultimately make no sense. So for centuries, human beings have passed knowledge down through the social contract of mentor and disciple. And it isn't until only very recently and could not have taken place without the modern mass necessity for education. It's not until very recently that you started to have this idea that the information or the material that one is being educated upon actually exists outside of the educator. Look at it this way, everyone's had a substitute teacher. That's a modern invention. But even now, I mean, we've all been in school. And once you culturally accept that the material exists outside of the educator and you make a possibility for a substitute teacher, we all know it doesn't actually work that way. The students know, those that are less interested in the topic see the substitute teacher as an opportunity to not study, to not learn, to goof off. Those interested in the topic know that it's going to be a wasted day. And the teachers know. I know teachers in this very setting. And they prepare their lesson plan 
And it is not unusual for that substitute teacher to either not do the lesson plan or to do it incorrectly. But this idea within the martial arts that the art exists separate from the teacher is what allows one to go from one place to another place. This underlying assumption that the art is the same wherever you go. It leads to all kinds of confusion. I remember hearing one story given as a cautionary tale. Beware of the mentor. Student trained in one school and wanted to go start training in another school. Not answering right or wrong. I'm looking at it philosophically. What allows that to be a possibility? And it is that there is a conception that the art is the same wherever you go. There is a disconnect between the teacher and the art. The art somehow has been given priority and an external existence from the means of transmission. That is a modern invention it's about mass production. It's about lowest common denominator. And it is fairly recent in human history when that took place and became the dominant means of transmitting information. While dominant, and we can look at the contrast, while dominant, no cultural effort is ever 100% successful in getting rid of the alternate view. So you have things like federations that pop up and they, you have federation titles and they all work on this idea that there is this thing called Aikido and the teacher and the role of the teacher is designified. But when people... are driven by excellence, whether it be a gold medal or whether it be to be the prima ballerina of a prestigious company. you're going to see the traditional pedagogical model being implemented. So everywhere around the world, while there are public schools everywhere and there are federations for everything, and there is this idea that there is this information that somehow 
metaphysically exist beyond the person transmitting the information where every teacher can be substituted for. There are pockets that produce excellence and mastery and they do so by the traditional model only. There are ballerinas out there who are devoted to their mentor. And the things that they experience, the abuse, the need for sacrifice and commitment and isolation, all those elements that go into the cautionary tales of the federationalist, they're not experienced that way. They're very simply understood as that's what you do if you want to get good. It's not a complicated manner. And the inverse is equally simple. If you don't want to do them, it's because you can't because you can't be good. You don't have what it takes. That is happening all over, still. But in the story I heard, this one student causes all kinds of drama he wants to go train in this place or that place. And it's always about rank. Well, will my rank, will you, will you honor my rank? Oh, Jesus. Who gives a fuck? What I think ends up happening is that we, we, we buy hook, line, and sinker, the discourse. And I think modernity is an age of discourses. It's an age of symbolic capital, false values, not real things. and sticking to our martial art, Aikido as an abstract entity that exists wherever you go, regardless of the teacher, such that it can actually be learned outside of the teacher. It actually exists outside of the transmission path. That Aikido is not a real thing. It's just we're in an age where 
We are surrounded by unreal things. We trade and barter in unreal things. We don't ask, are we skilled? We ask, what rank are you? We don't expect our art to be martial. And we don't expect our martial artists to be holy. but we still act like it's important. But prior to the modernity, there was a practicality that drove things. And that's going to be difficult to understand because we like to believe that we are the practical age but we are not. We're the discursive age. We're the age of information. The age of the unreal. When practicality drives you, you're not interested in rank, you're interested in skill. And not just any skill, you're interested in the ultimate skills. The skills that address the whys of existence. This is one way of understanding Budo. Skills in the why. And this skill, because of what is involved and how much must be involved, is the path of excellence. And so you will follow, you will follow the model of excellence that is still followed in pockets throughout even California. You're going to find a teacher a teacher who had a teacher, who had a teacher, who had a teacher. And it's going to feel like you went to another world, especially as a modern, because it's a different culture. Time and history are concentric and circular. And every veering you take will make you less practical in your achievement of excellence. And so you will do what it takes. And you will believe in the world around you with substitute teachers and abstract arts, fictions authored by federations 
a mass of people who is no one and no thing just becomes delusion to you. Seminars will become a waste of time eventually. Whether you're teaching it or not, there'll become interruptions in your training. I have to stop training and I'm going to come with people where I cannot throw, cannot move. They can't do the technique that's actually being demonstrated. Walk-ins. Or you're instructing and everyone's doing something different and all you have is an hour or two and you know no learning's gonna take place ever here. And then you ask why. Why am I here? Why am I doing this? That's a practical question. And practical questions will bring you back to the age of practicality. So there's this weird dichotomy because I have found through the decades of teaching people that a mentor is a strange idea to most and the practicality is not evident. And depending on how much of a participant they are in the modern age, which could be determined as by as little a thing as geographically where they located, a mentor is a dangerous thing. And they have instead some very impractical ideas that prevents them from becoming excellent. As I've said in earlier podcasts, training is about becoming at a minimum other than what one is now. It's self-transformation self-transformation has certain ideas that are assumed within it and traditional training understands these ideas but modern training has no concept of them and even less and less I have found through the decades. Traditional training made use of faith 
today faith is the bad word. It's got behind, it's denouncing some sort of pseudo-scientific, polemic, rhetoric, political discourse. My suspicion is underneath it is the same age-old problem the Buddha discovered. Self-attachment, pride, ego, fear. Mental illness, in other words, disease. But it's so dressed up so nicely now that many do not see that it's actually what's leading to their inability to learn. All this goes together. So when you have a sense of Aikido, this abstract thing that exists outside of teachers, outside of a teacher, it's something that is actually knowable before you even study. There's a kind of plug and play to it. Not all that unlike math. I know math exists without knowing any teachers. And teaching becomes just a matter of this teacher showing me these things, the rules, the basics. And quality of teachers is a matter of, well, this one is really good at explaining the rules. But there's a whole lot of unsaid assumptions at heart. It's such an idea. Is Aikido like math? Is it so mechanical a thing? And is math so free of art? But when a teacher is just a matter of showing the basics, explaining the rules, it, you can know it. As I said, I know math exists without knowing any teachers that teach math. And often this is how the modern Aikido practitioner comes to the dojo. They know what Aikido is. This would not have taken place until relatively recent in human history. But right there with that shift, that cultural shift, you have taken away a few things paramount to excellence. 
One, obviously the need for the teacher. You don't need that. But you have taken away two very interrelated things. One, you've taken away the very possibility of self-transformation. And two, the cultivation of the virtue of humility or skill in self-displacement. Truth be told, if you had a jar of self-displacement skill on a shelf next to a jar of ikkyo, you'd be a fool to choose the ikkyo jar. Now, people listening to this, they listen with modern ears. So immediately, the caveats and the cautionary tales come into their mind. Oh, don't self-displace. This is how society transmits itself to itself. Don't self-displace, look, Jim Jones. <laughs> and it hides from the fact that all those cautionary tales are just modern lost people. people that wanted wanted more of what they already had and felt they couldn't get it. Go back to this story. This person wanted to train at other dojos. He wanted his rank he wanted his rank respected at both places. Rank is a political symbol. It's not a skill symbol. Can't you just wear a black belt in this dojo and a white belt in that dojo? Who cares? Can't you just wear a white belt in both dojo? Who cares? Can't you just walk out of one and just go to the other one? Who gives a shit? Can't you just stop? Can't you go somewhere else? You didn't want to just train. You can train anywhere. You wanted to cash in on your political capital, on the symbolism of the belt, an unreal thing.
You gave power because you wanted power. And then when the power that you wanted could not be yours, you cried. All unreal. The ancients understood something about human psychology that we do know, but don't like to admit. The true obstacle to excellence is ourselves. It has always been, and it will always be. It's not the school, it's not the teacher, it's not the art. It's us. We don't do enough. We don't dedicate enough. We don't sacrifice enough. We don't train hard enough. We get distracted. We delay. We procrastinate. We cower. We retreat. We get distracted, we pull out, we deinvest. You want a top 10 list for beginner advice? Get out of your own way. One through ten. Through the decades, I have had unskilled teachers dry alcoholics, alcoholics, egomaniacs, when you get out of your own way, these people are not in your way either. When you don't want what they're selling, you are free, always. No dojo is a cage, as nothing and nowhere in life is a cage 
until it is ourselves who is standing in the doorway to the way out. And regardless of these people, the path still requires a teacher, and teachers do exist. Perhaps you haven't found one yet. Why are you still there? Why are you standing? in front of the door rather than leaving. What fake thing are you wanting them to grace or to bless? Why are you trading your soul for something unreal. Is it, as, is, it, is it for something as stupid as, well, this place is across the street from my house. Well, I'm about to get my black belt and um, I think I'll quit after that. Really? The teacher's the problem here? Really? You see, we are the ones, we are the biggest obstacle. We keep us from learning and we keep ourselves in places where no learning can take place. And we have good reasons for it. This is how I protect myself. But somewhere, as I said, there's another human being that's figured it out. They know how to stay free. They know how to get out of their own way. They have found a true teacher. And they are becoming excellent at what they do. And you won't need a rank or a title or anything unreal to point that truth out to you when you see them. Today, when I teach now, this is what I actually have to teach. 
I have to teach people how to have a teacher. We have to talk about such things, work through such things. and use the drive of practicality and excellence as a motivator for them to get out of their own way. And to try a different pedagogical system, one not about mass production, one not about lowest common denominator, one not about rules and basics, but one about art and life and the big whys. This concludes this episode of Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. For more information, please visit sentiencenter.com. S E N S H I N C E N ter.com or find us at Facebook at Sension Center and on our YouTube channel at Sension One. Thank you for listening.